And now, part two. Welcome to part two of the Prowell Files. <laughs> Still got your boys, Grego, TK, Moby, and L from Two Cents FC. We're still talking about Prowell, and let's get into some some ants. Well, actually, no. You you brought up something, uh, Moby, about American players that I really wanted to touch on real quick because uh, I definitely think that the closed system has almost had a negative effect as far as the focus on American players in MLS and I haven't seen it so much in USL but definitely MLS now just want to get your your, your first some let's expand on that a little bit no I think um, it's a great topic that we are bringing up because I think grow well in the sense of um, competition for young American players that actually helps develop and create another set of eyes for these young talents to be seen. Because when we're always just focused on MLS, um, some of these young players aren't going to get the minutes. And whether it's if they play on the MLS 2 or play on USL, um, yeah, they're always going to be within that system. So if you're on the MLS 2 team, they're going to be like, all right, cool, we still have them under, under our umbrella. Um, we'll play them when we play them. But if he's had another team balls out and they get a chance to be an MLS, okay, now it's like he has he has his chance to shine. Whereas it wouldn't be the case um, if he was just under the umbrella because I, I feel like they'd be just taking him for granted. You know, like you want to have a situation with um, Jamie Vardy, like that would rarely ever happen um, in the states. You know, everyone wants to bring up Wando. Um, that's luck um, if, we, if, we, if we didn't get traded to San Jose um, if there wasn't injuries that wouldn't have happened you could say that well he would have got a shot eventually and that's not the case that's not the case if there was pro well he would have been on another team and then showing out showing out then hopefully his team gets either elevated or he's killing it at that level and someone actually buys him takes a chance on him and goes from there and I feel like ProRail allows you to do that more often. Um, now it's getting a little bit better. You're seeing, you know, MLS teams, you know, get players from lower levels, whether it's USL, whether it's German second or third division, whether it's French second division. Uh, I mean, one of the best midfielders of all time through our Philly days was Vincent Noguera, and they found him in second division France. So ProRail gives you an opportunity to find more talent and gives those talented players more opportunity um, to play at a competitive level and like give something for them to look forward to. What you got, Al? Yeah, so if we're going to kind of move into the solution space a little bit, it's like how we can possibly structure or make pro world work. Mm-hmm. Um, we can go back to your point, uh, Greg, about transfer fees, right? So with MLS clubs or first division clubs buying players using having through transfer fees not just oh this is a separate contract that we signed them to nothing goes to the you know to the the lower level team that they were on mm-hmm. but actually having a opening it up so there is a transfer fee system 
um, that will allow some of these smaller clubs to build their infrastructure up, build their own stadiums, and kind of, you know, bolster up the league to a degree on their own on the lower levels, similar to what you see over in other countries. Like, even the second, third division teams have, like, decent amount, you know, 10, 15,000 seat stadiums. And, you know, there's obviously there's tradition and whatnot that's built in through, like, history. But having those transfer fees will allow some of these lower-level um, USL teams, League One teams, to, you know, move from, you know, soccer parks into their own facilities, you know, create their own training training grounds so that they can develop players um, in, the, in their local area. Um, also getting rid of uh, territory rights. So right now, you know, MLS, you can only have one team, one MLS team in one territory. So we'll, we'll, we'll use Austin as an example, right? Um, the bold have the bold own the USL rights to Austin mm-hmm. and MLS owns the, you know, the MLS rights to Austin, but say the bold get promoted. How does that work? You know, like we have to get rid of those territory rights so that um, there can be more competition in a market. Um, and there, there can, you can't open the door for teams to move that are close to each other. That's, that's something that's always, you know, I think what been one bigger obstacles for pro rail in an open system. Uh, of course, we uh, we just saw recently with uh, with St. Louis uh, City and uh, how they're planning on uh, taking over for St. Louis FC in the USL. So basically, there only will be one team. Of course, this would probably directly affect uh, a Moby. We're playing in Austin. Of course, we don't know yet if if they're going to be able to coexist. We actually even saw it here in Atlanta uh, back years ago where we had the uh, Atlanta Silverbacks in NASL. And basically, as soon as Atlanta United got, got it announced, it was like, yeah, we're on the way out. And we, we have yet to really see in too many markets like outside of New York and L.A. where – uh, MLS and and USL really truly coexist on an independent level, and I think that if 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 we are ever to get an open system and ever to get pro rail, you need more teams in those bigger markets. You you need you need two or three Chicago teams. You need two or three Seattle teams. You need at least another Atlanta team because I know from an MLS perspective, they're probably going to look at it from the standpoint of, oh, we're losing Atlanta. Fuck that. <laughs> You know, and 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 I completely understand that. You know, because I think that just just from a selfish point of view, you're looking at it from hey, we're, we're about to lose this audience, this market, the, the attendance, and everything. Granted, I've always been of the belief that if you spend a lot of money, and you still suck. You deserve to get relegated. As <laughs> simple as that. And but obviously for marketing and all that and all that kind of jazz i understand you know like losing a new york team and having no replacement in that same market for that team it's probably gonna be a, a tough pill to swallow so why we continue with the, these territorial rights where you could basically have like one team and most markets like that shit doesn't work yeah, it's, it's, it's tough. I think it's just like from the business perspective, I feel like, you know, MLS is worried about growing too fast in the sense of, you know, 
the money involved. But like, if you just take New York, for example, you could have a team in every borough. And that's that the dream, be, baby. That's the dream. Yeah, it's like you can have a team in every borough, and they would like. There's over 20 teams in London. I don't know how New York can't do it. So, um, obviously, the states are so big, but I actually see um, MLS going into like NFL in the sense of like four different conferences based on region, um, and they'll have it tiered out anyways. But um, like you said, the more teams, the better. It's almost like if you are a young player, and imagine if you can only play on one club team. That's not how it is. So why do it on the professional level? And obviously, you know, it comes down to the people um, that are going to, you know, own these teams. You know, not everyone has, you know, ownership money. But if there's an opportunity to get in at a lower cost, uh, lower entry free, um, I, I feel like more people will get involved. And with the fact of promotion relegation, whether they use Moneyball, whether they use analytics, whether they just, you know, go out and buy the top talent, um, that's the competition that people love. And just the American mentality of underdogs and like people going on, you know, winning streaks and runs like that. Mm-hmm. You're, you're always going to have a market of fans, regardless of, you know, if your bigger markets are in it or not. Yeah. I think that, cause like one of the things that always bugs me about major league soccer in general is that the, is parody, how that's always featured and promoted and everything. And, and, what always kills me is that if you look at pretty much all the top leagues in every country, you, 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 and even here, like you always have like the elite teams that say like, Hey, you know, like these are the teams that you want to be on. You want to be on the Lakers. You want to be on the Yankees. You want to be on the Celtics. Like, and in in Europe, it's, it's no different. You know, you want to be on Real Madrid. You want to be in Manchester. You want to be at, uh, Juventus. You don't want to be at Chelsea. Definitely. <laughs> chill, 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 chill. <laughs> See how you pick Manchester United out of all the other Premier League teams, right? Hey, 20, 20 titles is still twenty titles, man. Don't don't trip. But <laughs> but but no, like like that that you know, there's always going to be that the upper tier of teams that you know whether you have parity or not. You know, almost like you have to have teams that you, that you ultimately want to love and hate. And I think that when you have parity and where teams can't really sustain themselves up top for very long, it kind of prevents that dynasty building. And I think that kind of, it kind of um, limits what MLS can be. Cause like you basically like you need a, you need giants cause mm-hmm. you need giants to hate. That's just, that's just me. But um Let's and attract the TV money. That point, man. <laughs> yeah, there you go. There's a lot. I think America is overdue for pro rel, literally based on one simple, simple fact: Americans love drama. Yep. <laughs> Straight up. So if you introduce that kind of drama into sports, I think you have a whole sector of people who may not even be interested in soccer who are now gravitating to it simply as a sports story uh you know perspective and then you have like something like the gravitas of what lester uh, did uh fact check that was uh 2016 not 17 Mm. as well um where that story is so big that it makes worldwide news 
you have Americans who are like, oh, I want to be a Leicester City fan now. I, I just like their story, you know? Like, there's tons of that. I can't tell you how many people I know who have said that same line. So, and then you have to, to explain to them, it's, it's not Leicester, it's Leicester. Well, you know, it depends on what, where are you from. <laughs> like, I'm trying to sound Scottish when I pronounce this word or whatever. Um, but, you know, I think there's a, a, a whole lot of room for that. And uh, if we could just get things into a place where, you know, we can just test, you know, test the waters, dip our foot in it. I think America would really grab hold of it when you start to see teams from USL2 go up. Oh, they're on a run. Now they're in MLS or contending to be in MLS, you know, very much like everyone's talking about Leeds now again. Oh, it's been 16 years. Yada, 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 yada. We got history here. We got history there. Rivalries in this, you know, like, and then you have derbies. How many damn good derbies could there potentially be if we got a club in every borough in New York, if we have multiple St. Louis clubs? I'm saying, man, like I could preach a little bit more, but it's the choir here. So, you know, I'm not going to do that. (laughs) Well, no, I mean, you know, I I think that there's definitely, I think from a storytelling point of view, there's so much potential there because one of the things that don't, that doesn't get talked about is everyone, like I think was mentioned uh, during part one, you know, everyone loves an underdog. And you look at like all the small towns around the country that that might have um, a USL team. You take a, a, a like our guys in uh, Fort Madison, like that that would be a good one. Or uh, Green Bay, who's uh, down in League One. Uh, you could take uh, El Paso. You could take Sacramento, even though they're about to get up in MLS. Like there's there's something to be said about the storytelling of the rise of a smaller town working their way up a smaller market, you know, working their way up to, uh, to, to MLS in division one and, and, and then hopefully being successful. I think that that's, there's something about that, that adds, there's, there's so much drama to it. It definitely makes, I think there's something that, that actually makes USL far more, valuable as a TV property and something that only makes the system more richer as a whole. Here's a proposal. Um, enriching the system, letting it be something where who has a, like or Chelsea has a something set up like this, the CPO where Chelsea supporters own the pitch. There's like a thousand-year lease on that pitch at Stanford Bridge, that you know, you can ne- it can never be sold, and it's just like a perpetual thing, or maybe a, a, an instance where Dortmund, the fans, supporters own a stake in the club, like if we see more of that happening in the United States, you see the actual community taking a literal stake in the club and then you have a, 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 a much larger social economical impact uh, uh, you know, in these smaller communities where maybe in Huntsville, Alabama, the biggest thing they're known for is now soccer instead of you know, roll tide down the, down the, road, down the street. <laughs> yeah, you see clubs actually doing that. So Detroit City FC just did a like a crowdfunding campaign um, 
Chattanooga did like last year, I believe. Yep. Mm -hmm. um, Good point. Good point. But if they were actually more than vanity shares, I feel like there would be, you know, a lot more investment. So if a lot of these smaller like USL clubs or um, NISA, well, only NISA clubs can do it. USL clubs can't do it because of the franchise model. And that's something we can get on as well. Um, the single entity situation. Uh, but the independent clubs, their ability to, you know, raise funds from their fans um, and kind of build that engagement, that sense of ownership, I think can go a long way for like helping the, helping the smaller market teams like eventually grow. You know, so eventually say, let's say hypothetically, we took away the single entity model and we opened up the pyramid. You will see a lot more investment in USL clubs because, all right, I see that there's ROI here. There's a potential to make more money if we jump to MLS. We can get in low um, on some of these smaller teams. Like getting into buying an MLS team is out. You know, you got to start from the bottom now. So you got to start from League One or from scratch or from, you know, championship level, investing in some of these championship teams. So, like, there's no reason like New Mexico shouldn't be in MLS in like a couple of years. If they had like one or two or like a, all the billionaires we have in this country, if like <laughs> even even multimillionaires, if like some someone came passionately and pumped money into that into that that team, all the and one. yeah, they could. They, I feel like they could easily make their way up to MLS in a couple of years. So to that yeah, point, that's like that's a great getting, getting rid of the getting rid of that single entity model. I feel like would open the doors for more investment because you got a lot of these. You know, I don't mean to ramble, but you have a lot of these guys who are like who own these teams, but they're actually real estate guys, like like Tormenta's owner, right? He's a real estate guy. He's building a stadium plus entertainment district around the stadium. Like Tormenta is the, the product, you know what I mean? So like a, a lot of these real estate guys have millions of dollars. So eventually we get more of them in here and they, they start building stadiums, building infrastructure, um, and then they get more investment to expand on that infrastructure. I feel like that can kind of help level set some of these teams and kind of underwrite um, some of the, the costs for these teams. Yeah, you you, you bring up uh, single entity, and um, I mentioned um, um, we also talk about our territorial rights, and uh, that actually brings up uh, one of the big we, – we need to talk about what are the actual obstacles to ProRail in this country. Um, I said we talked about territorial rights. We talked about single entity. Well, first off, let's actually go into single entity a little bit uh, just to kind of explain that. As we mentioned during part one, the structure of MLS is basically essentially owned by Major League Soccer. So basically, Atlanta United, LA Galaxy, Columbus Crew, Austin FC, technically they are all owned by Major League Soccer. The owners of each team are actually like like franchise uh, operators, kind of like McDonald's and shit. And, um, and with that, it allows for basically like for every team that comes in, you basically have to buy in to MLS. You say, hey, this is, this is my share to get, get in and everything. And as we've seen over the years, you know, I think, what was it? Like Toronto FC got in in 2007 for $10 million and – now we've seen Charlotte FC uh, get in for I think it was like three twenty five, if I'm not mistaken. 
and basically it's allowed for MLS to basically run con- run the contracts, run uh, expansion, run development to a, a certain degree of success. I mean, granted, we're MLS a lot bigger than what it was 15 years ago. But at the same time, we're still fighting uh, a structure that does not allow for a lot of player movement. It forces a lot of player movement without uh, players really having much of a say in what. And I'm pretty sure Moby can kind of go in a lot of detail. <laughs> um, and but no, like I think that that's actually one the probably one of the top two. Uh, obstacles. There's still one more that, that we haven't gone into. Now I'm gonna go into after we get into this. But uh, what? What? Tell us your experience there. I'm moving. From the single entity standpoint. From the player movement st- standpoint. Oh, <laughs> without getting in trouble. Yeah, it's it's tough because you know you almost you can't really. It's like you can't really. How can I say it? You can't. I don't want to say you can't backdoor it, but you like everyone knows what you're doing. Mm-hmm. it's like say you want to get if I'm on um, Portland and and Philly wants me but Orlando wants me I can't negotiate between Philly and Orlando I mean I can negotiate with them but ultimately it has to go through MLS MLS has the final say of how everything plays out so there's been instances where you know I know a, a couple players have spoke out on it uh, Jermaine Jones and spe- specifically where he was negotiating with MLS about he wanted to go to LA or Chicago or New England. Um, ultimately, they forced him to go to New England, um, and you know now it's getting a little bit better. Um, like these restrictions and um, great job by the players union and the you know competition side of MLS to like figure out different ways to make it fair in a sense. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, single entity it doesn't give you that freedom to really negotiate or like leverage your your play or your salary because everything's kind of like under the same umbrella mm-hmm. you know so like lafc can want to pay me a million um and then colorado only want to pay me uh five hundred thousand. um mls will come in and figure out you know how that's going to work out in mm-hmm. a sense because a single entity interesting interesting yeah, I definitely think that uh, yeah, player sorting out player rights is definitely something that uh, if you ever want pro route to happen, you obviously need to have a situation where the players have control of their player rights and can move freely and say like, hey, if I want to negotiate with Philly, I can do that. If I want to negotiate with Detroit, if they're in, in MLS, I could do that shit too. And as long as you basically have a big brother in the sky saying, okay, yeah, <laughs> you know, we all think that's the, that's the right move for you play. <laughs> like, that's the kind of <laughs> shit that I think definitely prohibits uh, no system, system from happening. Um, what do you guys, uh, uh, like, what other obstacles do y'all see as potential uh, obstacles? I mean, the simple mm-hmm. fact that uh... – like Charles Tepper, Charlotte, he pays three hundred twenty-five million, and then the next year, um, 
if they get relegated, he's like, huh? Like what? Like that that mindset of I think there's a way around that. I think like for like especially like for expansion teams, like <laughs> you basically get like a window of yeah. where you basically are exempt from 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 you got five relegated. years or whatever, however yeah. many seasons to get okay. you know, your, get your so shit in order. order. So for the teams that are have been in, you know, there's like okay, Charlotte gets a free ride because they didn't come into the league prepared. Yeah. Like, not necessarily uh, getting a free ride, but just in the sense of buying, like you don't want it to become a race. You want people to buy stake in MLS. So like I was saying, you don't want it to be a thing where everyone that's why people like everyone in the world can't buy Amazon when it was 20 bucks yeah. you know? or Tesla when it was 300 in March, for example. So <laughs> like, seriously, it was, it's 1800 today. Like yeah. that's, that's the model buy low, sell high, or just let it ride and make your money. But if you, you eliminate that possibility, you know, or the attractiveness of that, then yeah, like people are just going to go and run the USL or wherever they can get a cheap for turn a, a penny into a quarter or a dollar, uh, essentially. But if you have that ability to still attract people to want to buy an MLS franchise, say you get five, six seasons of a free buy, you know, leaveway, say if, you know, and this is the standard. And then you'd have to go about making it fair for, say, the other teams that are, you know, already in the league for however many years now. Maybe give them two years or, you know, just like you would implement any new rule changes and say, hey, these rules come into effect the, the next following season. We all know about it. You have time to adjust on the backside of things for however many years or whatever. And then, you know, TikTok goes into effect. Yeah, say, yeah. Let's say we're being hypothetical here, right? And this is a hypothetical started. episode. Let's go for it. <laughs> and ProRail started tomorrow. Okay. As a stipulation of that, mm-hmm. the single entity model would have to go away, right? So we'll put that on the table. Yeah. Every, every club owner owns owns their club outright. Right. In the David Tepper situation, since he did buy into the franchise model, um, he should get like a, a lockup period, like, all right, three years. Mm-hmm. You get three years in MLS because you did cash out what you cashed out. But every new team that comes in has to start league league two or whatever usl league two mm-hmm. um i feel like that would be like the most fair way to do it you got to cap it somehow right so everybody who's already in is in like that's it anybody who else comes in they have to start at usl league two and work their way up invest their way up you know what i'm saying so um to your point of moby like the what ifs i feel like if it started tomorrow then giving them that lockup period I feel like can possibly alleviate some of that. Um, but I feel like that that may be like the most fair way to approach that situation. But if you look at like a Cincinnati situation, like they had two years, they'll probably be relegated at this point. They're probably back in championship. Hey, that might that might be the best thing that ever happened to them, but you never know. But um hell is real. <laughs> they, beat us. they beat us somehow, so I, I we can't talk, but uh, but no, like, so like what what other uh, obstacles uh, uh, do you see there? Um, I feel like that's the biggest one. Like, is that whole the amount of franchise fees that are paid, and then 
you always hear like, all right, these these guys pay all this money to get into MLS only to be relegated. Like, I feel like that that's probably the biggest obstacle aside from um, the single entity. I got, I, I got one for you that no that no one's really talked about like that. Uh, okay, the players. No, not not even that one. Oh, okay. The calendar, because <laughs> given, because th- think about this for a second. You're playing from March to November. You're in a you're in a rele- uh, relegation battle, and suddenly your top striker gets bought by wants to get purchased by Roma. Is that team is your team going to be more willing to sell you right then during the summer when they when they need you to to stay up, or are they gonna be like, nah, we need we need to hang on to you till the end of the season because we don't know how that's gonna roll, uh, Mike, and we might drop. That's a really big obstacle to to navigate through because like it's not like because like. It's not like we're Brazil where we can just basically just churn out a, a striker, you know, every two, three months. Like, we're still at a point where we're still trying to figure out, like, if we lose someone, it might be a, a minute before we figure out, like, who's going to come here and replace that that star guy. And the calendar definitely limits what you can do as compared to if we sold that, if we were on – if we were running August to to May, like everybody else, and we lost, and we sold that guy in July, we still got time to go ahead and figure out, you know, what we're going to do. And I think that's something that, uh, as long as America runs on this calendar, I don't see how that works. That's a, actually a really big obstacle. But one can argue that if. The transfer window is, is a certain amount of time, right? So right. you always have to be constantly scouting. Mm-hmm. One can argue if you know that your top striker is getting interest from Roma, why are you not scouting a replacement during that same window mm-hmm. to try and bring in during that same window? You know? True. True. Um, I think, I, I, like in a lot of cases, because it's within the season, like it's easier to integrate someone new before the season starts, and you have time to, you know, figure out like, okay, this this person gonna gonna play to the right, and, and um, you know, he cuts in and everything like that. You have time to figure things out. Whereas if you're midway through the season and you're trying to, um, the integration is a lot different, and you know, you're hoping that whoever you bring in. Is ready right then and there to go ahead and start contributing, and I think the degree of difficulty in, in navigating that is a lot more difficult as compared to if you're just in the off season and you got time to kind of figure things out. Um, I mean, given even with that, I feel like the power of the transfer still lies with the selling club. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, exactly. Like that's and that's the point is that they have the control of saying like, hey, we still need you to, until no November, and we we can't afford to lose you right now. Totally, I see that as you know the best solution is going to be like a Miggy or where you have uh, an Alfonso Davies or there's an agreement 
he stays until the season ends or until, you know, that halfway point where it kind of clicks over and then see you later. Mm-hmm. But, yeah. I feel like they obviously have to make adjustments, like whether it's like a longer transfer window or like a mid-season break, like whether it's during all-star break. So instead mm-hmm. of like having it three days, like have it like two weeks, like like Germany or one of these Sweden or one of these other leagues. Um, but we saw it in Suddenly Until I Die. Like, they struggled with it, too. Like, where they wanted to sell the young Nigerian striker. And they were like, they were begging, like, they were like, yo, what's your decision? <laughs> like, what are you going to do? Because we need to figure out how to make moves. So it's the teams that are prepared, the teams that are always, like, scouting, you know, making sure they have replacements. The best teams have it, you know, whether it's MLS, USL Championship, Europe. The best teams are always looking for the next talent at a cheaper price. Like you guys said earlier, buy low, sell high. Um, so I think if, if the selling team is prepared, they can make that decision. Because at the end of the day, they don't have to sell him. Yeah. I mean, obviously, the player, if he wants to go, he's going to make it known, but they don't have to sell him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I, actually, I actually like that idea about, about the uh, uh, summer break. Uh, of course, a lot of people who who talk about schedule changes, they always talk about the 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 winter time and everything. I'm like, there's ways around that. Leagues do winter breaks all the time, like real winter <laughs> breaks. So that's an easy Germany does. Yeah. And like shit. I think uh Russia does like three months. Like yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the it's, Ukraine it, league or something. Yeah. You know, um also to kind of I guess bring this back is we were saying with the pl- or MLS having the ultimate decider on a lot of these transfers, say you can remove that, you also don't want it to fall into, in my opinion, don't want it to fall into the trap where you have too much agent power happening and then you're kind of holding players ransom, holding clubs ransom, and it, it becomes another tug of war essentially with just New opposing forces. That, that's, that's already happening in MLS. Yeah, so yeah, like it's already happening in the NBA. Like you know, that's that's nothing. <laughs> well, I think I that's kind of like just it's just like a, a smart player and a smart agent will see what um, advantages they have, and if they want to push for a move, eventually they'll get it. It's just a matter yeah. of if they're willing to wait it out. Watching clutch sports starts working soccer players. I got it. I got it happen in two thousand twenty. <laughs> But oh, you must have some insights. <laughs> not, not yet. We'll see. But like, that's a good point about you know the the agents. But, but like you said, Grego, uh, if a player wants to move, it's going to happen. And now players with salaries being like larger, they have leverage. Like Lee Wynn sat out half almost half a year before he got the move. Camilo, if you guys remember him from Vancouver, he was like, "I'm going to Mexico, and I don't care. <laughs> like, find me whatever, make it happen." Uh, Kyle Laren, like. Players have more leverage than they think, and agents, some of the super agents in this MLS league, um, know how to get things done too. So, you, you actually brought up one, one quick thing. I, I don't mm-hmm. want to harp on too long, but I'm going to just ask a quick question Can Perwell work with salary cap? Oh, that's tough. It can work, it, it could possibly work with financial fair play. Okay. I don't know about salary cap. Okay. So that that puts the onus on the teams to go out and market, go out and generate revenue other ways, so that they can, yeah. mm-hmm. you know, bring more money yeah. in, get creative that way, and then you know buy better players. 
Yeah, I mean, teams are getting creative now already. Like, they'll figure out ways to stay within salary cap, but make sure players are taken care of. You know, whether damn, blam, and damn. <laughs> whether it's kids schooling, you know, housing paid for, uh, bonuses that are. I'm surprised yeah. like nobody talks about about the housing situation, but that's a, that's another subject there. But, um, but yeah, go uh, keep going. No, so yeah, there's there's other ways to take care of take care of players outside of you know within while sticking within salary uh, cap. So mm-hmm. there's always a way to get around the system, and some of the better teams that we watch in this league are doing a good job at it. Cool, cool, cool. Well, let's uh, uh, let's wrap this up and let's actually get into some solutions like like what like what like what in your own utopian pie in the sky scenario what would american an american open system look like to you i will start off with my man tk <laughs> Oh wait, is it? Yeah, it's that way. Yeah, that way. <laughs> I'd like to see the the bridge between MLS all the way down to, I guess, what USL two, and then have that. I think that's a strong system uh, of leagues in America, and then I'd like to see an addition of maybe twenty teams more spread across the country. Um, throughout those leagues so however many teams that would make per league and then just some of the things that we you know we've already touched on removing some of the the financial constrictions making it more appealing uh, at every level essentially for you know all these different uh, leagues so um, making it more community driven where the supporters actually can have a stake you know within the club and then um, representation you know, because at the end of the day, you what what good does it do if you don't feel like the team in your local area is representing, you know, a representation of the people who live there? Because, um, mm-hmm. uh, you know, pride has a lot to do with that. That's why, you know, certain clubs are the way they are. Certain supporters are the way they are for their clubs, rather. Um, and I think that goes a long way. Um, so, yeah, uh, salary cap's got to go. Um, I think financial fair play is a good shout. I, I, didn't, I had not thought of that previously within the constraints of, um, of America. And then I'd like to maybe even see how that could be something where it evolves um, for the whole continent of North America, essentially, to where we're having – to where MLS can become a, a destination league, whether it's a destination for players in – South America and other parts of the Americas to get to another you know p- part of Europe or for European players to come or African players or other you know players from smaller countries where they they can come and it offers them something where they can just chill and relax and have a, a clear state of mind and still you know be able to play the game that they they, they love. Um, so I think that would be kind of my utopian high in the sky. Uh, version of pro rel and most importantly the drama i think there has to be that aspect and that's that's what it would ultimately bring uh, you know across across the board so yeah what what you got a moby 
before, I just wanted to point out before in pro rel, at least start off with like a community shield, like the winner between MLS and the winner between uh, USL championship, just have that game in the beginning of the season, whether it's for a lot of money or like for a, a place in uh, CONCACAF or something like that. Um, you can definitely add to it different variations, like winner of CPL, USL, MLS, Mexican League, whatever. Um, but from a pro rail standpoint, um, uh, much to TK said, just like have it top down. So MLS, USL Championship, USL League One, USL Two, um, NISA, and have just have a clear system. Obviously, MLS Two teams are like trying to break away. So have them, whether it's within that bracket of USL Two or NISA, and they can only go up like a certain amount, like uh, how Bundesliga does it, where uh, Bundesliga, uh, Bundesliga, like Bayern Munich 2 can't go within a certain um, league. So they can't go to the second division if Bayern Munich is in the first. So it's, there, always to, there always has to be like a league gap. Um, from that standpoint, uh, make it independent. So each club is run on their own. Obviously, MLS um, will control um, – the bylaws and things like that, but each team can make their own trades, can do what they need to do. Territorial rights have to be gone. Um, the United States is too big to have uh, have one team like define a region, and specifically with the way I would like um, you know the, these teams to be run. You guys talk about community. Like an LA LFC team may play differently from a Kansas City team. Like play how your community is based, like how Dortmund, you know, hardworking, um, and they call Byron like the Hollywood team. Like I feel like if you guys embrace these communities, then you have like a style of play based on your community, like Philly, hardworking, things like that. So if you open up um, territorial rights, uh, Philly can find a kid in Cali that might fit their system better than that kid with Sacramento or LA. So if you open it up, it gives players a bigger opportunity, a bigger landscapes to be seen. Um, and it gives them a better chance to, you know, develop. Um, but that's basically it. Obviously I don't have all the answers. Um, it's, it's all hypotheticals and we definitely would need um, to work out the kinks, but that's, that's my um, president of, that's my Don Garber hat for today. <laughs> What you got, L? Um, well, I think I kind of started sprinkling my solutions throughout the conversation, um, but I think TK and Amobi covered a lot of it. So to reiterate um, a little bit, obviously MLS is Division One. I. I would move NISA into the championship, um, like kind of em up. envelop it into championship. Yeah. Um, of course, get rid of the franchise model, um, get rid of the salary cap, um, get rid of territorial rights. Um, to another point, when it comes to ability, um, so say for instance, a League One team, when, when they win League One, they're eligible for promotion, giving them the option to move, to stay if they want to. Like they may not be financially able to move up um, to the championship. So giving them the option to stay um, and kind of, I guess, abandoning that slot or something for that year or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, I, I don't have the answers to that that part, like what would happen if they if they opt to stay. Mm -hmm. um, but I think that's important so that teams don't get in over their heads and end up folding 
you know, like you see what's happening with lower league uh, England, a lot of these teams, they go up and then they go down. They go up and over leverage themselves and then they end up going down. And then they end up having to fold. So where's Portsmouth? You, you, you don't really see a lot of teams in England of uh, fold. Like, 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 of course, they go down, but of course, they just keep going down until they figure out they're, they're, they bottom out. And then where's, they, where's Portsmouth? they build from there. <laughs> yeah. And like, but like a lot of that's due to mismanagement of funds as well. So. They go into administration, and that's where it really ends up saving them. When somebody else comes and buys. So them. we don't really have the the, the administration um, element here in the U.S. Where because we have the franchise model, exactly. yeah. So like nobody's ever like gonna Been die because yeah. all the money is split. They always get some kind of revenue. But there's no one also looking to seize an opportunity as well, you know? Yeah, because like because you could end up like. Um, what's the team up in um, uh, upstate New York? Um, is it, no, that was FC Buffalo. It's another one up in up that way. Um, but basically, they I know they were in, they were in uh, USL, and then basically they just you know they they folded. Of course, we've seen tons of teams in uh, NESL. Oh, Rochester. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And. Um, yeah, that's a historic club too. Oh god. Yeah, exactly. It's like you see those teams that like they just basically just fold. Like you, you and you see that actually at a very alarming rate um, here in, in America as compared to other team, other countries because they have that administration element to where it's basically like, hey, you're still in existence, but basically you got to, you know, fall back, reorganize, and get your shit together. You know, whether that means. Uh, a, a new group uh, takes over. In some cases, you do see teams that fold, but at the same time, they end up usually having to like uh, become like a Phoenix club where they they restart as, as a new team in that same area, like uh, Wimbledon did, and uh, and then they basically work their way up that way. But uh, uh, keep going. So another question: When they go into administration, don't they get bumped down or at least get yes. relegated? Yes. To the next level. Um, in most cases, yeah. Because like Rangers was a prime example of that. They went to administration and then they went down to like fourth division in Scotland, the third division. But yeah, they went down quite a bit. Yeah. So to that point, um, I feel like all of those things that we discussed um, also um, kind of like in in. I want to get into TV rights, but I don't have like the sol- the full solution there. I think what we have here is actually pretty decent. There just needs to be a little bit more money pumped into it. Mm-hmm. So like you're going to see a lot more situations like CBS All Access, ESPN Plus, um, having a more prominent role in soccer coverage. Mm-hmm. Um, when you, especially when you have like, I mean, we already have it here with USL and their ESPN Plus deal, um, but I guess making sure that check is bigger and making sure it covers more teams so that those teams can benefit from some of that revenue. Um, I think only the, the only the championship, the EPO champion, EFO championship is with ESPN plus, right? There's no league one in there. I believe that's correct. Yes. Okay. So I guess at least on the championship level, um, make sure. I, there's- I, I would think that, you know, if, if you had an open system here that, there would definitely be a demand to see more USL championship. You were, and and then of course that would trickle down to League One and, and eventually League yeah. Two as well. Just because it's just our country. And it's like like hey, like we want to see, 
We want to see what happens with Green Bay and if if they work their way up. We want to see what happens with Richmond and see if they if they did they move up. Like that again, it's all about storytelling and that makes for compelling TV, whether it's online or, or on TV. And you got the regional TV deals, much like baseball. That's where they get their big dollars. So um, there's always a market if you guys, if you guys, um, like you said, storytell, build that community. Mm-hmm. You know, I know at least in Sacramento, like they love watching the games on uh, whatever it's KCRA, I believe. I'm not sure. Yeah. So at the end of the day, it's going to be a lot more work for all of the team owners. But I feel like if they had that commitment to put in that work, it'll only make it make everything stronger from the bottom up because, you know, that, that there is that commitment there. Either they're not being floated by some entity or something like that. Indeed, indeed. All right. Uh, let's see what we got here. Okay. First of all, uh, I think the biggest thing that's going on right now that needs to change is U.S. Um, MLS's uh, relationship with U.S. Soccer with some internet <laughs> marketing. You, you get rid of that, I think that it forces U.S. Soccer to consider the interests of all the leagues instead of just one. You do that, you know, we could, we can could see where where things go. Now, from there, uh, drop a single entity, freeing up all the clubs to to basically. Uh, seek their own destiny basically because as long as mls has control of all the teams it's basically you're saying you can easily create the narrative that that this is what mls wants of what that individual club wants um and with that that means freeing up player rights to where they can go wherever they want you know essentially whenever they want so whether you're in the league for six months or 12 years or 15 years if if you're out of contract, you're free to negotiate it with whoever you want. No alloc- allocation, none of that. Now I do like the idea that that uh, that L brought up as far as financial player fair, financial fair play over doing an actual cap. I I would uh, argue that what you could do if you did keep the cap is basically have like a tiered cap based on each league. So let's say. MLS has $25 million for their league. USL Championship has, uh, let's say, $15 million. Let's say League One has $10 million. League Two has five. So basically, you still allow teams to basically not spend themselves into oblivion because, of course, the key thing is you want to be able to keep these teams afloat and not worry about them um, blowing up because they've – extend it well beyond their means. Of course, eventually, if you can get to a financial fair play situation and just eliminate the cap entirely, that'd be ideal. But I think that um, a cap is doable. Cap is doable. Um, let's see what else. Um, you have to figure out a way to, I think with opening this, the, uh, the system that uh, that allows for the lower divisions to become an attractive TV product, which means more money for them, which means that they'll be able to um, build up their own academies and stadiums like I talked about earlier. I think that's very necessary here. It's just, just for the overall benefit of the health of the system. Um, what else? Um, 
Mm. Oh, the the footprint. You, we definitely need uh, more teams in the bigger markets. Now we don't need fourteen teams in all in one city, like like in like like London, but um, like you could say like L.A. and New York has six. Let's say all all the other top ten markets probably have like anywhere from like three to five teams, and eleven to twenty they might have two. Beyond that, you really it really you probably will be good with just one team, and that's okay, you know, barring like the the rare the rare occurrence. But I think that the top 20, 25 markets, you definitely need more teams in those markets. So that way it's, you're able to build, you're able to, USL can benefit, USL championship can benefit from, from having the Miami just as much as MLS can. USL doesn't have to worry about losing. It's just a less of a chance of them keeping uh, Madison, like they, they, it won't be the end of the world for them if they if they lost him and they went down, like because you still got other teams coming up. But they just we we definitely don't have much reciprocity in our system, and I think that needs to change. Because obviously, if I take from your league and not giving you anything back, that's a problem. You know, we talked about earlier. St. Louis is about the um, leave USL and, and just be MLS only. It's like, but you're not getting anything back in return. Like, can I get a, can I get a uh, Detroit? Can I get a, can I get a another Sacramento team? Like that. That's the kind of thing that, honestly, is a major issue with how the system is set up right now. And of course, what that that means, building up more teams in, in smaller markets so that way. Um, they're all able to feed and sustain and make this thing healthier. Um, of course, again, I think that until we have our develop our development in order to where we can just churn out players like Brazil, I think you kind of need to do the schedule change just for, just so that way it does it at least keeps the interest somewhat even. Because again, if if a player trying to leave a team in a relegation battle in the middle of July and the season's still going, they're going to be like, hell no. And I think that if you at least allow them to everything to be on an even plane with this, with the calendar, it's, it doesn't feel like the players are getting dicked. So, um, but I, but I do like the idea as far as that, that, that summer break, I think we kind of need it anyway, because, People don't really talk about it, but a hurricane is, is just as bad as a blizzard, and we played through that shit. So <laughs> I think that uh, it's never going to be perfect as far as the as far as the weather goes. But at least you have to uh, figure out something that works out for both sides. But um, yeah, like I said we, we we've gone for quite a bit. So like, at least again. We, we, we welcome your thoughts and ideas on this. Again, we talk about we talk about this stuff all the time on our social FTC, UTD. Sometimes we, we get two cents to, to, to chime in every now and then on the social, on, on that kind of stuff. You know, hopefully, you know, we'll, 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 we'll see what you guys think and, you know, which, 
what you guys want want to um, have, have feel on this stuff because I don't think that conversation's um, um, going away. One last one last question. Given where things are right now, do you see Pearl happening and when? And if so, when? Can someone remind me when Garber wants to? He said it's, it's, he's done at, at 30, but, you know, expansion fees, bro. <laughs> what, 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 no, he, he gave me, yeah, like, he's, he basically said, like, like the, the last team that, that, gets, um, that gets in right now, that's, like, what, 2023? That's 30 is it, technically. No chance. <laughs> that Ponzi scheme is too good right now, man. Like, I'm saying, you know, th- I said you got you went you went from like you went from like 200 million to 325. That's a big jump. That's a bag, man. That's a bag and a half. We're like, no, keep buying my Chick Fil A. There's no team in Vegas yet. There's no team in Phoenix yet. Yeah, there's, still there's no Marcus. team in Detroit. Nah, yeah, there's still markets to be had. No, nah, we haven't we haven't even hit all the NFL markets yet. No. Yeah. Ooh, that's true. Well, that's, I think that might be something for session two. Is there a viable um formula with NFL owners being MLS owners or them sharing stadium facilities, things of that nature, et cetera, et cetera? I think if the demand the demand is there, yeah, but I think at the same time, I think we need to get away from that. Just just from one from a unless that unless you basically have an Atlanta situation where you basically like they're building from scratch. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, but th- I think there's still got to be like some viability there. Maybe even if there, there's only, some, there's some. So like, what if we take that? We have. All right, you know for fuck's sake that they have television rights and out the ass for every NFL game. So you know that they can put broadcasting, or they don't have to. Broadcasting structure is already in place in those venues. So then you take Ooh, USL, then you take NISA and any of the other lower leagues, and you just usher them right into that venue. <laughs> and then I think that's something that's platable. But, of course, it's only going to work with the larger markets. Um, mm-hmm. Where there are NFL teams, but I think yeah. that you know, like as big as football is, you know, and American football is in North America, I think that there's something there that it could be viable. Um, you're just gonna have to, you know, there's gonna be more. There's gonna need to be more scientists and you know people in the in the room to throw out for that to experiment to turn out good. I think that uh, you know, and I think there's one thing that 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 doesn't get said enough. Not everyone needs to be the same size in the same city. You know, just because Manchester United is an old traffic hold 75,000 doesn't mean that um, other uh, another team in Atlanta in Buckhead needs to be 70,000 as well. Like, like, like you can have a team that's, that only holds, you know, 20,000 or 30,000, like it's differing sizes all over the place, and that's and okay. Old Trafford didn't always hold seventy five thousand. They right. built onto that, that stadium, and that's another thing. Is like because I feel like a lot of new stadiums now they're getting too finished to where it makes it harder to expand and grow. Because mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. a prime example that I always harp on is uh, DC United at um, Audi Park. Because like given their the stretch of land that they're on, there really isn't a lot of lot of uh, 
room to grow. And for those of you who have followed DC United, you know that they they scratched and clawed to get that stadium. And if it ever gets to a point where they realize that this is too small for us, they might be stuck. And so yeah, I think that just from a general real estate point of view, get a spot that's big enough to, to grow. Yeah, I mean, real estate is a whole other podcast because if you look in Europe, like how some of these stadiums are nestled within like a community, like there's yes. no parking. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like in America, like you have to have parking or some type of right. parking lot or something like that. So you need a lot more space. And like, you know, the public transportation is a lot different in, you know, like these European countries where like Much more my house is across the street from, <laughs> yeah. you know, Vicarage Road or whatever. You know what I mean? You know, you know what I mean? So it's, it's a lot different, but that's like a whole other Session podcast two. and conversation. Se- yeah. se- mark that for session two, sir. Yeah. And so, like you mentioned Buckhead, right? So having a, a, a downtown Buckhead stadium, I think, can do a lot for, like, building the community around that team mm-hmm. versus it being, like, off in the burbs somewhere. Yeah, I mean, you like, know, they, like they, having, they be, in an entertainment be, district. There could be a team in the burbs, too. Like, you know, basically, like, uh, what, Kennesaw? You, um, use, actually, the, I, use the fraction. Stone, Stone, Stone Mountain uh, FC, some some shit like that. But, uh, nah, man. Uh, on, nah. Nah, nah, nah. nah. <laughs> <laughs> Y'all shut that down on the equipment. Oh, nah, God. Hell no. Nah. <laughs> what are we going to call them? The Stone Mountain Confederates? Yeah, like, oh, nah. God. We, nah, we don't need that. That, we only, that, that nickname is problematic. <laughs> yeah, the NFAC going to show think, up. <laughs> Oh God! But no, I, I you know I'm I'm just kind of spitballing there. Um, but yeah, like, like you could have a team downtown in Buckhead, in in Cobb County, in Duluth. You know, what what are the suburbs in Austin? A movie. What are the suburbs like? New Braunfels. Yeah, you got. It's really spread out. Uh, they call it Austin Hill Country. So where the Austin FC team is going to be is in North Austin. So mm-hmm. um, near Domain, it's like a big uh, shopping center. Um, it's where all the, the tech is at. Um, mm-hmm. You got South Austin. That's like really growing. Um, Southeast Austin, where where Austin Bold plays. And that's supposed to, supposedly near going to be where Tesla's factory is going to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, so... There's all these South different West, areas. West Festival in regards to all this. Oh, uh, that's downtown. Like so downtown. downtown. Yeah, there's okay. there's no space for a stadium downtown unless you go East Austin, like uh, the East Side. But you'd have to like East Side. Huh? Yeah, uh, and you got to find near <laughs> you guys find near Mopec. Um, there's space, but it's like how are you going to get all the people to the game? There's no public transportation that's good enough, mm-hmm. as L alluded to. As is the struggle of most American cities, yeah. but um, we need that real yeah. train. We might. It sounds like we might need a, need a part three to talks about real estate, <laughs> all this stuff. That'll, that'll come Christmas time. <laughs> no, we, de- we definitely can. Uh, L brought up a great point, but from the standpoint of if you look at the USL Championship teams, the franchises, that's like that's the model they're going with. It's real estate first, then soccer second. And if you, in a, in a lot of ways, I think in most cases like sports is a matter of real estate if you if you can get the right real estate where you where you're based out of that could be the, the difference between a successful team and or a team that you know just kind of gets by 
10,000 uh, fans and 30,000 fans. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But, you know, again, we'll, th- this conversation really is, oh, I don't think you've got all the questions. So, yes, let's go back before we wrap up. Will Pro Row happen? And if so, when? After the World Cup, if it does. Which one? 20, 2026. Mm. What, what, what you got, you guys? Uh, I'm sticking with my, my original answer. I think um, when the MLS league caps out and we're 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 no longer a tick on you know on that money bag and we're we're, we're ready for a storyline and drama. So uh, let's just speculate. Twenty twenty seven. We're gonna Jeopardy style this. <laughs> what you gonna Damn, twenty twenty. So six years promotion relegation. I mean, you could be you could be playing to begin the conversation. Yeah. I'll uh, say that to begin the conversation. I think the world because we expect like an uptick. Effect. Yeah. COVID, you know, Qatar. Yeah, something big is gonna happen after the World Cup. There has to be. I thought it was gonna be like a combination, like combined league between just make North America like one big league. There's been rumors about that. Oh, that would that would so suck. That yeah, so I don't I don't see promotion relegation happening for another 15 years. Mm. I like okay. the Super League idea though. The whole comment. Yeah. But the thing about that is like we're already bitching about traveling now in yeah. the different one country. I'm like, you're gonna add another country. Like, yeah, no one like away away days. It's gonna be so bad. But um, right. I, I, I think as long as MLS obviously sees the value of expanding, because um, uh, it was it was like a little blurb. I think maybe like three or four years ago. But they MLS has talked about the potential of MLS two, basically a second division for for them. And I've always seen the 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 likelihood that whatever if they ever do it, it's likely going to be all in house. It probably won't even include yeah usl and i think that as it stands right now they're 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 capping at at 30 of course i don't see them stopping and i think very easy it would be very easy for them with the remaining markets that they have that they are probably or wanting to get in for them to get to 40. easy 2020 yep um and at the same time like i mentioned before they still need to get more additional teams in the bigger markets like if it's just mls they could probably get away with like adding a second team in seattle atlanta uh chicago and um and probably miami just so that way it kind of balances things out so like you give second teams down into mls too and that way and you still and you're still having conferences and everything because you want to keep the ge- geographical balance. Um, I think because of COVID, that's probably pushed those plans a little bit f- uh, further back. Because I was thinking the World Cup as well on 2026, but I think that now it's probably going to be looking closer to 2030, probably at the at the earliest 2028. I think they're like I said, I think they're already talking about it now. I think it's just a matter of they need to get to. I think how they adjust from COVID probably has messed us up a little bit, but um, I think that 
if all goes to plan, they'll probably announce it something like 2024, probably something that leads into that 2026 World Cup. And then they'll give teams time to basically adjust, get their, get their affairs in order. And, and then you'll probably start seeing like actual announcements probably after the World Cup. And then they'll probably be up and running before, before the end of this decade. So schedule change, schedule change, schedule change, schedule change. Y'all have heard me enough times on on this podcast. Like there's multiple reasons why that shit needs to happen. And 2026 is a very big reason for that because there's no way that they're going to be able to play MLS and the World Cup all at the same time. So it's going to be how they react to COVID and not just UEFA, like CONCACAF. Yeah. And, and individually. And then uh, you brought up a good point earlier about how it relates to the, the national side. Indeed, indeed. Oh, we even talk. We get into the, into no, the impact no, on that. S- s- we will save that for Christmas. We'll save that for Christmas. But in the meantime, as always, you can catch us on the social FTC UTD. Uh, make sure you get us on socials Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Uh, get your merch at ftcutd.myshopify.com and uh, where could he hit matters name sets as well going to the bail project for donations so uh, make sure you guys keep your orders coming in we really appreciate that uh, know that their funds those funds are going to a greater cause indeed indeed and then uh, then of course our guys are two cents y'all, y'all actually got a pretty dope scarf out in the streets now man like, uh, where can they uh, appreciate it yeah. uh I don't know at what point people will hear this, but it may the pre-sale may be over by then, but you can get it at two centsports.shop. Um Yeah, we got stickers up there. We'll have more stuff coming soon. So stay locked to that that address. And then of course of course you can catch two cents FC on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. I hope y'all are doing this. Yes, make sure you hit subscribe yeah. on us. Make sure you hit subscribe on Two Cents FC. They're, they're still kicking out content while we're on break. But yeah, you know, let's see. We'll probably do some, something else while we're, on, while we're on break. We might go on Instagram. I don't know. No. So we're, just, <laughs> we're just kicking it. Like so it's, it's, it's summertime, you know. Shout out. It, it, Can I kick it podcast? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, what else was I about to say? So, like, so we're, we're, we're on break from the radio. We're going to have to wrap Black up. Black Culture Collective. <laughs> on the Black Podcast. <laughs> but yeah, man. Uh, we, we will catch y'all soon. We might do Instagram Live or something. Blah, 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 blah. We'll, we'll be back soon enough. But yeah, in the meantime, for Grego, for TK, for Moby, for L. It's still real. It's still everywhere. And keep wearing your damn mask. We'll see y'all soon. Yeah.